Hi, this is Colin McCallan. Thank you for listening. Please do us a favor and leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts and subscribe so that you don't miss any future episodes. Thank you. Welcome to Is This Legal? Here are your hosts, attorneys Colin McCallan and Russell Hevitz. Hello and Happy New Year to all of our listeners out there. Uh, happy 2022. Are you feeling 22? Uh, to quote our friend Taylor Swift, I sure am. Uh, I am here as always with my partner, Russell Hebbets. Russell, how are you today? I am doing great. Ready for a new year. Russell, have you been listening to uh, uh, Taylor Swift's uh, re-release of her old album, Red, Taylor's version? You know, I'm not a Swifty like you are, but I have listened to it upon your recommendation a couple times, and it's it's pretty solid. It's awesome. Um, I really am feeling 22. Um, and, uh, (laughs) she makes me feel that way. She's, she's a badass and, uh, she she makes you feel all Twitter. My, my, my kids love her. Um, I love her. Yeah. So we've been Taylor Swifting it up and I have no problem admitting it. Um, but, uh, you know, today, uh, let's get into it, Russ. We've got a fresh new podcast for you and it's, um, we're going to be covering actually a fair amount of stuff, uh, as, as our uh, more frequent uh, listeners know, we have covered a bunch of trials. It was uh, a very trial-rich 2021, and we spent a lot of time breaking down some of these cases, and we have some updates, don't we, Russ? We finally do. We have we have had a bunch of cases that are out there pending. We had juries that were out for like a long time right. for juries, yeah. and now like in this past like week to two, a bunch of trial verdicts have come in and we, for everyone out there who gets their news only from, is this legal? And we know there's a few of you out there. We know who you are. (laughs) We have some updates. So Colin, start us off. Yeah. Well, after we get to these, by the way, we're going to be talking about a new case involving the make-a-wish mom, whose name is Kelly Turner. Uh, We'll get to her on the other side of, is this legal? But let's, uh, yeah, let's get through, get to these case updates Um, I would like to start, Russ, with our good friend, Elizabeth Holmes. Um, Her story, her rise and fall, is very, very well documented. Uh, We actually did a podcast on Elizabeth Holmes a few episodes ago. I encourage you to go back and check it out if you want to know the juicy details. But Miss Holmes, after a three-month trial, uh, just got her fate handed to her, so to speak. She was facing 11 federal crimes, 11 federal charges Uh, And she was just convicted of four of those charges. Three of them mistried. Uh, The others, she was found not guilty. Um, This was interesting. I mean, this was a long trial. There was about three months of testimony. The jury was out, Russ, for six days. And a lot of people around day four or five, you know, they they took to uh, social media, Twitter, whatever, and they started saying, gosh, she she might walk on this. Um, I think what really happened, though, it turns out that the jury was very deliberate, was very, very methodical, very methodical in their deliberations in trying to figure out what counts. They they took each count one by one, and they obviously had some disagreements. I mean, three of these hung. Um, But unfortunately for Elizabeth Holmes, the four counts of wire fraud that she was convicted of, they were the strongest counts against her. And they are most likely going to result in her being incarcerated for a fair amount of time. She faces up to 20 years in prison. We will see whether uh, whether she got gets anything close to 20 years. But we believe that she's she's definitely going to prison for some amount of time. 
And that is the, I guess, the bookend of her uh, sensational story, right, Russ? Yeah. Well, there's there's a new major motion picture coming out. Is there really? There, there really Who's is. Who's starring? Is Elizabeth it, Holmes? It is someone I did not recognize, but I saw a uh, screenshot of her, and she looks very similar to Elizabeth Holmes. I wonder if she's going to disguise <laughs> think, her voice. I think she has and to, right? Talk about Theranos I mean, like this. You would you would think that they're gonna cover all of that. So I mean it should be fascinating. I'm for sure gonna watch it. I for sure am too. I can't consume enough about this case. So anyway, we'll 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 check that out later. So Russ, the next, what's the next one? Yeah, the next one that we have been following and we did a podcast on this is our good friend Mix Maxter Maxwell. <laughs> We still don't know how to pronounce her name. No, I'm still saying it's Ghislaine, but you're telling me it's like Ghislaine? Well, actually, I think her name is Convicted Felon. Well, it is now because <laughs> the verdict has come back and she is guilty of five of six counts. She, unlike Elizabeth Holmes, who is facing up to 20 years, and just going back to that real quick, technically it's 20 years on each count. Those counts are all going to be run concurrent for sure. And because Elizabeth Holmes is a white collar crime, like she's, I don't see her getting anywhere near 20 years. Like she's going to get some time, like Colin said, but nowhere near 20. Now, Mixmaster, on the other hand, (laughs) is looking at up to (laughs) 65 years. And these are sex trafficking counts. These are not white collar crimes. These are not yeah, this, fraud. This isn't Martha Stewart to uh, have a fun time at your uh, five month resort right. type of crimes, right? These are serious crimes where she is likely to do. I mean, I I, I think she's likely to do well over a decade. Yeah. So um, obviously we will check that out. But um, that was another one, Russ, where the jury was out for a really, really long time. And there's only six counts on that one. I think they were out for, gosh, at least a week. Yeah, it, I, I think I think at least a week. Much shorter trial. They were obviously thinking about that one, too. But they did uh, end up convicting her. Um, okay, moving on down the line. Uh, another high-profile trial that resolved, actually, at this point, a couple of weeks ago, Um But there was a police officer, I should say, former police officer, Kim Potter. Um, This is the female police officer who shot and killed uh, Duante Wright, uh, who was a black man. This happened in the same jurisdiction as the George Floyd killing. Um, had a lot of attention on this. Uh, this this was a this was a really tragic case. I mean, it was by by all by all accounts an accidental death in the sense that Miss uh, Miss Potter, uh, while she was trying to effectuate an arrest of Mister Wright, uh, she believed that she was pointing her taser at him when in, in reality she pointed her um, her gun, her nine millimeter gun at him, and she ended up shooting him once and killing him. Uh, the jury convicted her, Russ. The jury convicted her of first and second degree manslaughter. That means she faces a maximum uh, term of 15 years in prison. Uh, we think that her lack of criminal history, uh, according to the Minnesota sentencing guidelines, is going to land her somewhere in the neighborhood of between six and 8.5 years. But we shall see. The prosecutor in the case indicated he wanted to pursue a longer sentence. So we'll have to find out. Yeah. And that's going to be up to the judge. Like the prosecutor is going to get up there and very likely argue for a longer sentence. But the facts that as they came out in trial, as they were really undisputed, are that, you know, she was a longtime member of law enforcement. This was unintentional. She didn't have have any criminal intent here. She had a clean criminal history. So it's very unlikely in our opinion that she's going to get anywhere close to that maximum of 15 years. Um, and, and the guidelines do say 
six to eight and a half. So six to eight and a half is probably where she's going to land. And then she'll probably end up doing, um, you know, a fair percentage of that. I'm not sure how Minnesota's uh, good time statutes work, but she won't end up doing the full sentence. Right. So anyway, that, um, that's another really sad case. And that one has come to a conclusion. And finally, Russ, I think you got one more, uh, recapper for us, right? Have one more. This is the case that we just covered on our very last episode of, is this legal? So any of our regular listeners, this should be fresh in your memory. This is the case of Rogel Aguilera Maderos. This is the truck driver who, whose brakes went out coming down the Colorado mountains and he crashed into traffic parked on interstate 70, creating a 28 car pileup and explosion four deaths four dead. He, after that sentence, because if you remember the Jefferson County district attorney's office went for a charge that required multiple charges that required mandatory consecutive sentencing, which landed him much to everyone's, most people's chagrins, a 110 year sentence. Right. That was the minimum (laughs) that the judge could impose based on the charges that he was convicted of. And so, uh, Russ, lots happened uh, since we last left off with our listeners on that one, right? Absolutely. A lot has happened. As we talked about last time, there is a mechanism in Colorado law for reconsideration after the Department of Correction does an assessment and after the person has served essentially 119 days in custody. And after that, there's a mechanism where uh, the almost universally the defense attorney can file a motion for reconsideration, right? That's right. And, and in this case, what happened, Colin? Well, in this case, <clears throat> probably because she was feeling immense pressure from everyone, including the likes of Kim Kardashian West, who has been tweeting about this case to her 56 million followers. Alexis King, the elected uh, DA, <clears throat> she, um, I think, feeling this pressure, went to the court on her own and said, Your Honor, we would like to actually have a reconsideration sentencing. And she publicly stated that her office would seek 20 to 30 years. Why they decided not to do this on the front end um, <laughs> with their charging decision, I do not know, Russ. Right. So I think only Miss King can answer that, and I'll bet she doesn't have the best answer for it. I other mean, the fact that uh, she's she could say, "Oh, I didn't know this would make uh, so many people angry." <clears throat> right, right, and and we know it's because she was trying to put pressure <clears throat> on him to take a plea. Right, right. That right. that's why. But but so while that was pending, right? So Alexis King comes and puts in this request with the court saying, I want to have a resentencing to reduce it, which again is, is almost unheard of because why would the DA do that? They're the ones that brought the charges that landed this sentence on this guy. Um, that was scheduled for, I want to say January 23rd. So later this month. Yeah. It might've been even sooner. Yeah. It was sometime this month later, but while that's still Mm. pending, governor Polis who is looking at an online petition that has almost 5 million signatures contesting the disproportionality of that sentence. uh, Governor Polis comes in and says, I'm going to use my powers as governor, and I'm going to commute the sentence down to 10 years. Yep. So that's what he did. He didn't wait for this uh, reconsideration sentencing that, honestly, I think it was scheduled uh, to occur next week. Um, he just decided to act uh, unilaterally. And uh, so now, Rogel Aguilero Maderos will spend 
uh, 10 years in prison. He'll pro- it'll probably end up being a little bit less than that. Actually, I'm not even sure how that works with the commuted sentence. Yeah, I'm um, not sure either. Like, I don't know if, he, if, if he'll he serve less or if he'll actually have to serve the full 10. Um, there really is a lot of reaction out there on this case. I mean, I've, I've talked to some people, Russ, who think that the original 110-year sentence was completely appropriate. Um, I've actually I've spoken with others who say that he shouldn't uh, spend one day in a jail cell, uh, cell for you know this being an accident. Um, but I, I think one thing that I think I'm grateful for is this case raised the issue of mandatory sentencing. Yes. And a lot of people, a lot of uh, scholars, a lot of judges are looking at this and saying, okay, is this really what we want to do? Do we want to tie judges' hands and take away all their discretion? Um, and it, it's a discussion that needs to be had. Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you, I've, I have heard from a lot of people who are unhappy with Governor Polis, not that he intervened because the people agreed that this 110-year initial sentence was completely disproportionate to the crime and to the lack of intent, but they were upset that he intervened before letting the court process play out. Right. They basically said, listen, there's there's a process in place in Colorado law to reconsider this. Let's see what happens yeah. and then go from there. So I, I definitely know that some people are upset with that. Yeah. I, I, and I, I kind of sympathize with that in a way, only right? from the perspective that uh, Governor Polis could have done this at any time. He could have done I mean, it he after could have done this. Saying. Yeah, he could have... He could have done it now. He could have waited two years to do it. I mean, he could have let the dust settled and see kind of how the judicial uh, proceedings were going to take place. In fact, uh, the the judge who tried the case, Bruce Jones, he actually made a public statement uh, indicating that he did not like how uh, Governor Polis basically intervened and um, made a decision for him. Well, here's this is just like a microcosm of why politics really get in the way of a lot of oh, yeah. justice, right. right? From both ends, right? I well, mean, from- dist- District attorneys are politicians, right, right? Russ? I mean, that, these, are, these are people who are held accountable by the voters. And uh, to a certain extent, as a politician, you have to pander to people if you want to get reelected, if you, if right. you want your power. And so, I mean, honestly, I think that we saw a little bit, a little of that from elected officials in the state of Colorado in this case. Absolutely. Well, but at this point, Rahel is now going to be serving his 10-year sentence instead of a 110-year sentence. Means he's going to be able to see his kids. Um, he's going to be able to see his wife while he is still, you know, he won't be a young man anymore, but he'll be a middle-aged man. Right. So that is our uh, recap of, uh, I guess, some, there's some finality for you on some of the cases that we have all been following. So in a minute, we are going to, we're going to take a break now to uh, play Is This Legal? And then on the other side of that, we will get into a brand new case that uh, we've never talked about before. And you want to stay tuned for that. It's a fascinating case of Kelly Turner, the Make-A-Wish mom, who was charged and recently pled guilty in the death of her daughter. Yep. A lot of complicated stuff with that one. We will be back to discuss it. It is time for is. Oh, do we do it on this too? No, we don't do it on this too. I was just, I was just doing a dramatic pause. <laughs> Why don't we do it once just for the, the heck of it? I'll, I'll take the low end. You take the high end. Is this legal? Oh. <laughs> 
well, that was horrible, but uh, we'll, we'll work on it for next time. <laughs> we'll, we're going to we'll play as this legal. We're going to play as this legal, and we won't, we won't subject our listeners to uh, that again. Yeah. <laughs> we're going we're gonna to have choir practice every <laughs> Tuesday at 10, Colin. I'm going to work on my vibrato. <laughs> All right. So this week, we are going to play Is This Legal with you, the listener. Yeah, we don't have a fancy schmancy guest today. Uh, this is for you and your cars or in your bedroom or wherever you're listening to this thing. Uh, I mean, everywhere, yeah, right? We're everywhere. We, we, so. we know you listen everywhere. So we are going to lay it out for you. We, we will give you time to think and decide and shout out your answer. You should probably shout it out your car window to let everyone else know you're playing. Is this legal? <laughs> That's right. Louder the better. So this week, Colin, here's our scenario. Jebediah and Cornelius have decided to put their petty feud aside for a few days. Oh, that's no fun. I, I, I actually like it when they, you know, sometimes just, just overcome their differences and get together. It's like we, the episode where, you know, Tom and Jerry, instead of fighting each other, they like get together to fight like the common enemy, the dog or something like which, that. Which, I mean, which is one of my least favorite episodes. So yeah. ho- hopefully the people don't, don't take that too far. <laughs> But they're getting along. Jebediah and Cornelius are getting along, and they decide to go camping out to a spot in the woods where they had previously set up a moonshine still. Oh, yeah. They hang out by the fire. Now the fire, not too close to the still, because that could cause a big explosion. Even they know that. Even they know that. But they get really drunk, Colin. They're half a jug in of this 200-proof moonshine. That's pure alcohol, by the way. Okay. And they turn and they see a wildfire just blazing and bearing down on them. Mm. It is heading their way. They have small woodland creatures running through their camp spot away from this fire. And it is moving fast. They see the animals. They see what's happening. They decide they're going to get out of there. Jebediah and Cornelius hop into Jebediah's truck. Jebediah pedal to the metal. He gets out of there as quick as he can, driving and outrunning the fire. However, State Trooper Myrtle is on the other side of the road, Uh hanging out. She's finishing her last donut. Uh Uh-oh. And she sees this truck peeling out. She has no idea there is a forest fire bearing down on them. All she sees is Jebediah driving like a bat out of hell. She pulls him over. He is obviously... Three, four, five sheets to the wind. She charges him with DUI. She arrests him. The question for everyone out there, because Jebediah explains, he said, Trooper Myrtle, I was only driving to get away from this fire. I I think he said it like this. Trooper Myrtle, I'm only driving to get away from this fire. Let's (laughs) let's be honest. I mean, that's what Trooper Myrtle heard. That's exactly how he sounded. Trooper Myrtle, obviously, you know, didn't put a lot of credence in that statement, arrests him anyway. The question for the listeners, does Jebediah have a valid legal defense that may prevent him from getting convicted of a DUI? Mm, interesting. Okay. So let's let's give the people some time to think, discuss amongst yourselves, yeah. everyone who's listening as a family. 
talk among the family. Everyone put in your No faults. doubt he's drunk driving, right? I mean, he is definitely... No question yeah. about that. He is yep. impaired. He is under the influence. He is not safe to drive. The right. only, the everybody, only... everybody got your answer? Got your answer, everybody? Russ, tell him. The answer is Jebediah does have a legal defense. This right. is a defense called choice of evils. This is a situation. It does not happen very often. I, I, Russ, I think I feel like you did a choice of evils defense I, one time. I have. Fi- I, n- I never have. Yeah, I filed a couple choice of evil defenses in my 20 plus year legal career. It is very rare, but occasionally it comes up. And, and, and what you're saying is you're essentially confessing to the crime with this defense. You're saying, yep, absolutely. I drove drunk, but it, I had to. Right. I, this was an emergency. I had no other choice. I had to get in that car so that I wouldn't be burned to a crisp. And it was essentially, you're, you're doing this to avoid a greater harm. Right. So the harm of DUI, which you're confessing to, is outweighed by the harm of being burned alive. That's right. And so in order to avoid that greater harm, you have to break the law, which in this case is the drunk driving. And as long as it's believable that the only escape for them from the fire was to hop in the car and drive drunk, that's a valid legal defense, which probably is going to result in a not guilty. That's right. Um, it, it's up to the jury. They, they, uh, I mean, the, the, the prosecutor actually has to disprove that defense. Uh, the jury can decide whether or not to bite off on it or not. But yes, he can raise that as a defense. And honestly, I think in that situation, it might save Jebediah's poor soul. It, it may pull his bacon out of the fire. <laughs> Well done. Yes. Thank you. Thank I love you. that. Uh, all right. Well, uh, there you go. That's uh, Is This Legal? Hopefully y'all got it right. I think we had people honk their horns 10 times if they get it right, and then they honk their horns 15 times if they get it wrong. I thought it was 20, but we'll go 15. All right, let's hear you out there. We're listening. Yeah, I hear a couple of toots. Okay, great. Y'all, y'all are doing good out there. All right. We're going to come back now to talk about uh, the Kelly Turner case. All right. Welcome back, everybody. Um, uh, welcome back to the podcast. So... Um, in the second half of the show, we're going to talk about a woman by the name of Kelly Turner. Uh, she is more infamously known uh, as the Make-A-Wish Mom. Um, this is a case that has gotten some high-profile pro- notoriety lately. Uh, but this, and I'll tell you right now, it's a really, really sad, tragic case uh, with uh, sad facts, and yet it does offer some very interesting uh, legal issues that we wanted to talk about. So. Uh, let's just get to the nitty gritty first. Uh, we have Kelly Turner, who is accused. She was originally charged with first degree murder <clears throat> and child abuse causing death uh, for killing her daughter, whose name was Olivia Gant, uh, age seven. But this isn't uh, a direct killing, as you might think. Uh, Russ, can you tell us more about the facts of this uh, case? So this goes back for the past five years. Kelly Turner, with her daughter, with two daughters, moved from Texas up to Colorado. They moved here um, purportedly to be closer to medical services because Kelly Turner told everyone that her daughter, Olivia Gant, had significant and serious and chronic medical conditions. These were essentially gastrointestinal disorders, which are historically very difficult to diagnose, but it was things like she, it was things like severe constipation, um, 
some things as little as being a very extremely picky eater. All she would eat were cereal and some fruits. Um, and it, it continued where it got to the point where Kelly Turner would tell doctors and nurses that she was not able to eat. She was not able to get sustenance. She would bring Olivia Gant to children's hospital here in Colorado. I, Un, uncountable times. It was in the thousands. I, I think I saw over a thousand different medical treatments were prescribed for Olivia Gant based on her mother's representations that she was very sick. Um, and Russ, it, what, it turns out that that wasn't the case, right? That's the allegations, right? And that's what ultimately she pled guilty to. Um, she ultimately, I mean, and, and we're not going to go into a lot of detail on what specific Let's talk about her undoing, if we can, for a minute. Can how, how did how did Kelly Turner um, get in, under the radar of law enforcement? Well, so just just to kind of jump back a little, you have to know that Olivia Gant died, right? Because we hadn't said that yet. After about five years of these treatments, she was eventually put on hospice. She essentially couldn't take any nutrients in, and she died under the care of hospice. Right. Okay. Roughly one year after that, no investigation yet, roughly one year after that, Kelly Turner comes in with Olivia Gant's older sister, also Kelly Turner's daughter, and Kelly Turner says, here's my daughter, she's having bone pain, she was diagnosed and had treatment for bone cancer when we were back in Texas, we need to start getting her into some medical care. The doctor or one of the doctors who was attending the sister researched the Texas allegations that she had received cancer treatment and found that those were false. Okay. She had never received treatment in Texas. So that's what started this whole investigation. So what happened, uh, you know, people start wondering, well, gosh, was Olivia Gant really sick? And so th th this was a case involving an exhumation order. They, they exhumed her remains. They dug up her body. And they did a full forensic uh, autopsy on the remains. And, and Russ, um, what did the autopsy conclude about Olivia Gant's death? The autopsy concluded that the cause of death was inconclusive. Right. Right. So they couldn't pinpoint a specific cause of death. But what they could say is that it was apparent that uh, Olivia Gant did not die from any of the disease that her mom, Kelly Turner, had reported that she was suffering from. Right. They, they, this, this examination found no acute medical issues, right. essentially. So, and, and it can't be, there, there's not one um, medical treatment that is listed as, as what definitively caused her death, but... It's so sad. I mean, basically, all of the the culmination of all of these unnecessary medical treatments somehow led to this poor girl dying. Yeah, and we're talking about drugs. We're talking about feeding tubes. We're talking about surgeries. Just the whole gambit. So again, this case is being handled in Colorado, uh, in Arapahoe County, and which is a suburb of Denver. And um, I think one reason that people are talking about this is the top charge was first degree murder. I mean, this is something that's punishable by the death penalty. Well, we don't have a death penalty uh, anymore. anymore in Colorado, but it, it's as serious as it gets. It's first it's, degree murder. It's first degree murder, which means life in prison. But so a question that comes up is why would the mom do this? <clears throat> and what, what did she have to gain and what did she gain? Because she did actually have, according to the indictment, 
some tangible gains from this. Right, right. Well, and, and, and I mean, people are looking at this woman and they're saying, oh my gosh, how reprehensible. I mean, she's, she's collect, she, I mean, she appealed to the Make-A-Wish Foundation. That's why she's gotten her nickname here. Right. She was getting, um, you know, crowdfunding support. There, was, there were a lot of people who, this was giving her a lot of attention. The, the, there's an allegation she received over $600,000 right. in crowdfunding, a combination of crowdfunding, Medicaid benefits, GoFundMe, other donations. So she's essentially enriching herself by faking her daughter's illness. And, you know... Um, it turns out that this is that there's actually a mental health illness, Russ, that relates directly to this. Um, have you ever heard of Munchausen syndrome? I've heard of it, but you did the research on this, so yeah. I'm, so I'm going to let you tell us what it is. Her defense attorney um, uh, at her at her uh, guilty plea hearing uh, indicated that uh, Munchausen syndrome by proxy, which is a um, it, it is a known uh, mental health disorder. Uh, was at play with regard to Ms. Turner. Here's a little bit about Munchausen syndrome by proxy. This is a mental illness. It affects caregivers, especially caregivers of children. It is also known as factitious disorder by proxy. Mothers of small children are most often affected by this condition. Fathers or other caregivers can have it as well. Now, someone suffering from Munchausen syndrome by proxy will act as though they're a person that they care for. In this case, her daughter is sick. They will often falsify medical information. They will lie to medical professionals about the health or condition of the person in their care. They do this to gain sympathy or attention. And, you know, the more sympathy, the more attention this attracts, the effect kind of snowballs and, you know. And this girl had a lot of attention. Right. I mean, we're talking about Olivia Gant was all over Children's Hospital's marketing materials. She was, her mom essentially had an iron grip on the staff. Like anything she wanted, this girl got because it was so high profile. Denver Post had done stories. Local news had done stories. Like this girl was everywhere. So it really fits very closely in that box. Right. And, you know, someone suffering uh, from this disorder, um, assuming for a moment that Miss Turner was, you know, this, these are just some of the things they do. They will purposefully take action to make sure that their child is sick. They will knowingly expose the child to painful or risky medical procedures, even surgeries. They may deliberately create symptoms in the child. They can do this by withholding food, poisoning the child, giving inappropriate medications, or withholding prescribed medications. And, you know, so basically the medical care itself um, or lack thereof or withholding of medical care can cause a person who's otherwise healthy to be sick. And that's what uh, the prosecutors are alleging happened in this case. So I got to say, Russ, if they're alleging this happened, as if, if, there, if there's all these doctors who are saying, yeah, this was this should have never gone down this way. Why is the prosecution allowing her to plead to child abuse resulting in death, which, although very serious, is much less um, serious than first degree murder. So first, the child abuse causing death has a stipulated plea of 16 years prison. So she's going to get 16 years from this. Now, you know, conversely, first degree murder is life Mm -hmm. without possibility of parole. So to your point, it's a very, very big difference there between those two repercussions. And many people, like you said, are kind of outraged by how light this sentence is. It's, It's like the inverse of the Rahel Aguilera Madero's case. 
But the reason why, there are very good reasons why. This case is not a black and white case where you have someone who, let's say, shot someone or stabbed someone. This has a much more intricate proof requirement. It's much trickier to prove, right. I should say. Right. Because you you have to actually prove what she died from. You have to prove causation. Yeah. You and and this is not black and white. This is not clear cut. Right. We're dealing with a medical report that indicates we can't isolate uh, the cause of death, nor can we determine when right. uh, this fatal medical condition presented itself. And if I'm a defense attorney on this case, I'm parading every single doctor. Oh yeah. Who treated her? Who authorized these medical conditions? And saying. You authorized this. Well, Russ, you I mean, did it. You, you're the one who did the surgery. I believe that Children's Hospital has settled uh, a case with um, uh, Olivia Gant's remaining relatives, not Kelly Turner, but I believe a wrongful death suit just settled for the amount of $24 million, I believe. 25 is what I 25. saw. Yep. $25 million. Uh, so um, the you know, Children's Hospital is absolutely acknowledging their role in this. Um, but you know, uh, you also, so in addition to the fact that you have causation issues that you can't really prove how this child died, you also have this mental health, uh, defect. And, you know, we don't think that this is going to offer Ms. Turner a complete defense, but the fact that, um, there's a diagnosis of Munchausen syndrome by proxy, again, this is a known mental health disorder that people can suffer from. And, you know, the introduction of of this syndrome as a defense for Ms. Turner can kind of muddy the waters in right. terms of the prosecutor's ability to prove that, that this was an actual murder. And, and, and I'll tell you out there, Colin and I both know the chief deputy district attorney who handled this case. We've both had cases with him. We've dealt with him extensively. And he is an extremely competent prosecutor. Yeah, he's very very good. He knows, uh, he's a pleasure to deal with. He's 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 just the epitome of what a a good DA should be like. Yes, yes. He exactly. He's he's really coming at it from the perspective of justice and from what he can prove. Right. And, and he acknowledged he's like judge, we don't have a first degree murder uh, we don't have the likelihood of a first degree murder conviction here. There's too many uh, unknowns, there's too many gray areas with this case. Right. And uh and honestly the defense attorney um, who was representing Ms. Turner, I think it's very clear from what I've read about the case that uh, that defense attorney worked with the prosecutor for hours and hours trying to figure out whether or not they could reach a resolution that made the most sense for everybody. Right. Um, and, and they did. They got That's how they got to this uh, child abuse uh, resulting in death count that's going to carry 16 years with it. So, so that's what's happening to her. What about, you know, we talked about the, the civil settlement with the hospital, but you know, our listeners might be asking, why isn't the hospital criminally? I mean, did they do anything wrong? What criminally, or even like, why did they settle? Like, cause there's something Colin in Colorado called mandatory reporting, right? Right. And, and what's mandatory reporting? So mandatory reporting is where, for example, a physician, if, uh, they, uh, meet with a child who they believe is, has been abused they must report that to law enforcement. They, they must. must say, uh, they don't have a choice about it. Right. Uh, like the, the, the parent could be right there saying, oh, no, no, you know, this was fine. Don't report this. They don't have a choice. If they want to keep their medical license, they have to report this. And, and you know what Children's Hospital did here? What they did is they had some reports 
internally. Now there's, there's, um, it's unclear whether this was doctors or nurses, like a spokesperson for the hospital said, we never had any doctor or nurses, uh, report irregularities here. But then there was another report. We know that it was somehow reported internally Mm -hmm. that someone was suspicious of Kelly Turner and how she was portraying the symptoms of Olivia Gant. What the hospital did, they did not report it pursuant to the statutory requirements of the mandatory reporting law, because statutorily they needed to report it to either the county agency or law enforcement. Instead, they referred it internally to a panel where they reviewed it internally to see if those allegations were founded or not. They actually did an investigation internally and they said, we think these concerns are unfounded. Therefore we don't need to report. Wow. So that actually happened. And that's part of that is part of that $25 million settlement. So that's, that's kind of saying, here's your money. You know, we acknowledge, I don't know if they actually made any acknowledgements. They probably didn't, but there's going to be no further suits against the hospital, even though the hospital absolutely screwed up here. Well, you know, and, and as I, as I think about this case, I think about how hard it must be to be a doctor sometimes because, you know, you, you, you get presented with a patient could be themselves. It could be their kid. They're saying, look, we're dealing with these symptoms. We're dealing with them every day. The doctor does an examination, doesn't maybe see evidence of what the parent is telling him, but what do you do? You're not going to call them a liar. I mean, uh, you want their business. You, well, To a certain extent, you even want to why, – why would the person be lying? Right, you not wanna, everybody has this Munchausen by proxy right. not, uh, you know, disorder. You, you want to do good, mm-hmm. and that's a great point because, like, for example, you know, the doctor asks you, you know, has the child had a fever in the last three days? The doctor wasn't there. Right. So and if the, mom says, yes, yeah. uh, I, I, it was 103. Right. You know, and that could be completely false, but you know, why would a doctor dispute that? Right. You know, so it, so, it, it made me have, I guess, an appreciation for some of the tough calls that they have to make. And honestly, how, how courageous, uh, you have to be in order to come out and say, I'm actually, not only am I not going to follow your request, but <laughs> I believe that you're actually taking steps that are harming this patient. Well, there was, and there was one doctor who actually refused to sign the do not resuscitate order that wow. Kelly Turner asked for that, for that reason, because he said, Nope, I'm, I'm not willing to do that. Yeah. Um, so it, it's really, it's really tough and tragic all around. Um, but that is, that is where we're at. She's going to get 16 years and at least some degree of justice was served. That's right. Well, um, I think, um, it's time. Like is do, it time? I, I, I think it is time, Russ. I, I think I'm looking at my watch. And my watch says that it is time for DCOTW. Oh man, that's right. Uh, I've been waiting a long time to say that. Uh, not really, but uh. <laughs> I've been waiting a long time to hear it. I mean, this whole podcast, as as with everyone else, the dumb criminal of the week for the anyone d- who is not tuned in before. That's right. And if you haven't tuned in before now, where you been? I mean, we got a bunch of these every every single podcast. So, 
Uh, we are going to visit the state of Texas for this one, Russ. We're yes. gonna we're gonna Texas, leave Florida alone for a little bit. Texas is he's the Texas is number two to Florida and <laughs> and gaining, I think. Yeah. So so here's what we got. There's a uh, small municipality in Texas called Granite Shoals, and I don't know if they were just bored one afternoon, but the Granite Shoals Police Department they have a Facebook page, and they posted a story. This is a fake story that they posted on their on their uh, Facebook. Uh, profile saying, hey, um, we've just received reports that um, methamphetamine that is currently in circulation in Texas has been tainted with Ebola. And so the post went on to say, citing this fake news story, if you have recently purchased methamphetamine or heroin in central Texas, please do not uh, use it. Instead, take it to your local police department so that it can be screened uh, with a special device. Um, and so they put that out on their Facebook feed. And um, a young woman by the name of Chastity Eugenia Hobson oh, saw the post <laughs> and uh, became very concerned uh, because she did have a methamphetamine habit. She had methamphetamine in her possession, and she was very concerned looking at this post by the Granite Shoals Police Department and thought, my gosh, I don't want to get Ebola. Maybe I should take my methamphetamine in there to have it tested. She went in voluntarily with her methamphetamine, and she was greeted with absolutely open arms <laughs> by the Granite Shoals Police Department. And Russ, they did in fact test the methamphetamine to make sure it was methamphetamine <laughs> right, so right. that they could use that to prosecute her for possession of a controlled substance, which they did. So she was promptly arrested and charged with possession of methamphetamine. I mean, I mean, unclear whether or not it had Ebola or not, Russ. But, I'm pretty um, sure it didn't. That's what happened to Chastity Eugenia Hobson I mean, of Granite Shoals, Texas. So, I mean, my initial reaction, Colin, is yes, Chastity is clearly very dumb, but <sighs> what dicks? <laughs> 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 I mean, what? Why you gotta pick on the user? <laughs> wow! Strong words for the Granite Shoals Police Department. Um, all right. Well, we have to rate this as as is customary. A scale from one to five knuckleheads. One being this isn't so dumb. Five being this is the dumbest thing I've ever seen. What do you think? I mean, it's it's dumb enough to like. It's less dumb if she just like would have thrown it out and not used it because maybe there's some meth, but to be to believe that it's going to get tested to see if there's Ebola and then pres presumably if there's no Ebola, here here's your meth back. I, I, it's clean. I'd love to I'd love to know what she said. I, like I, look, I I just want to test this before I smoke it, or before, I just don't want anybody else in my uh, community harmed by this uh, this dangerous methamphetamine. I, just, I I I felt like I had to bring it to you to make sure that this was. Dealt with maybe, appropriately. Maybe she's an unsung hero here, I think is what you're saying. <laughs> maybe that's what I'm saying. So Russ, what's your rating? I'm gonna give her a four. Mm -hmm. Um, I think I think it's very, very dumb, but it's not the dumbest thing we've ever seen. It's it's frankly, I mean, it's it's not completely unbelievable that it was tainted with something. Ebola is a stretch, but right. it's not unbelievable that it, her drugs are tainted with something that happens. Um, so and and frankly, I, I knock her down just because 
just the cops, you know, go after the dealers, you know, <laughs> don't go after the poor, poor chastity. Who's just a meth head and can't help herself. Yeah. Unclear if anybody else uh, turned in their meth for testing, like if the dealers <laughs> well, did that, but, uh, but she definitely did. Oh man. You know, I think I'm going to go three and a half yeah. on this one. I mean, she's a meth user, which is stupid. Um, she, uh, you know, believes everything she sees on Facebook. Remember there's a fake story. So that's stupid. Um, and yet I feel like she was trying to do the right thing in a weird, bizarre way. Yeah. So I want to give her at least the benefit of the doubt for that, but still pretty darn stupid, Russ. Pretty darn Uh, stupid. We'll give it a three and a half out of five. So, um, there's another, uh, DCOTW and frankly, there's another, is this legal episode for you under wraps? So, um, we, uh, of course want to remind you where you can find us. You can find us on Twitter. Is this legal pod? We have a Facebook page, Habits and McAllen. Um, please, if you have uh, comments on this episode, if you have comments for a future episode, if you want to just say hello, we would love that. Hit us up. Um, but in the meantime, we will be back with another fresh episode soon. Happy New Year, everybody. Happy New Year. Tell a friend. Bye-bye. You've been listening to Is This Legal? See you next time. 